ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, Terramaster, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. Hi, everybody. Thanks for coming on ATV Talk today. We're going to have an industry chat on just how we feel the market's flowing and how things are going for everybody in the industry. I have Eli Madero and Bones from OMF with me. Um, Eli's been involved in the industry in sales and marketing and, and quite a few other things for many, many years. Bones has, uh, from what I know, worked for OMF Performance forever. Um, yeah, better part of a couple decades almost here. Didn't yeah. you come out of high school and start working there? <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. I wasn't even old enough to have a drink when I got here. Nice. And you're old enough now? <laughs> old enough to have a few kids under my belt and uh and one of them's about to be a teenager which is frightening oh my god <laughs> yeah you're telling me just don't blink eli it's coming soon for you oh man three years is already flown by <laughs> well you're not that old brother <laughs> no i, I mean I, I don't feel old but uh i'm uh 38 years old got uh got a 12 year old and and a 11 and 10 year old too so i got a full house Bones, I have a 12-year-old grandson. Oh, you got me beat by a few then. Yeah. I mean, I have grand I have grandchildren as old as your kid, and, and I have newbie grandkids that are um working on coming up in a year. Yep. In a year. That's wow. awesome. You got you got some future uh Duncan Racing employees there. Probably not. You not know. so much, huh? No, maybe one. I would have to say the best prospect is Wyatt because he's got mechanical aptitude mm-hmm. already. He can look at how something works and uh, put it back together, actually. And that's huh. pretty good for an eight-year-old. Absolutely. If he's he's got it natural, it sounds like. That's hard to beat. Yeah, exactly. Well, if he doesn't come work for you, just send him my way. We'll put him to work. Milo can say hello. Hi, Milo. How are you, buddy? Okay. We'll see you later, buddy. Hey, is any of that money going in my piggy bank? Have you earned it? I earned a lot of money, but it doesn't mean it's going in my piggy bank. Thank you. Hey gentlemen, what I wanted you guys to talk about today is uh, 
how you feel the industry's flowing and, and how things are going from your perspective. Um, you know, I'm in the retail portion of it and then and, and I have dealers bones. You have retail and dealers, Eli, you see a little bit of everything that goes on uh, from your perspective. So I think we'll get a good mix of, of what's happening out there and maybe some things that we can tell our customers to do better uh, to, to help grow the industry. That sure does. Not, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to see it keep going. I'd like to see these, these quads and ATVs come back. It seems like the, uh, after the UTVs came out, we saw a, a sharp decline in sales for the uh, quad and ATV wheels. And uh, what we're seeing now picking back up, I mean, it, it does seem like there is a little bit of a flurry of activity uh, realistically in this past year, but uh, I don't know. It's still a long ways from where it was. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how, how things keep going. If this is just a, a drop in the bucket or if we're actually going to see a little bit of a rise from it. Yeah, I, I kind of have to agree. And I think one of the biggest, the biggest factors that affect us, is the fact of or the number of manufacturers, the limited number of manufacturers that are actually producing a sport ATV. I mean, we figure Honda hasn't produced, hasn't manufactured a sport ATV or like say the 450R, they have other ones, but they haven't manufactured the 450R since 2014. Yamaha has been the one company going strong with the Raptor 700, the YFC 450R. And unfortunately for Californians, they're not going to be seeing. Uh, 450 yards on their showroom floors come 2022, I believe, because they said 2021 or 2021 because they're not going to they're not going to be uh, carbon compliant. You know, not that most people who are racing them are pulling a lot of stuff off, anyways. But it's it is going to affect sales. I mean, let's just be realistic; it's going to affect sales. You know, and the trickle down effect hits everybody. Which I think is, that's why I think California is the most ridiculous place on the planet because what they're, what they're stopping has nothing to do with cleaning the, the, the planet. Oh yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You know, we have a pollution problem. We don't have a climate problem. We don't have a well, problem. If you really want to get into things like that, I mean, even the pollution problem, you know, you look at places like right areas in California, like Pismo Beach, you have residents out there who are complaining that like the air quality is some of the worst in the nation. I'm sorry, you live in a coastal community. You do not have the worst air quality in the nation. What you have is you have coastal winds that blow sand into the community. It's a natural occurrence. It's nothing that the ATVs have done, that UTVs are, they're not taking up excessive sand in the community. And the best way to gauge that right now is because the fact that dunes are enclosed for a good part of seven months because of the pandemic. And I don't believe the air quality has changed much. But you just have, you just have, you have these environmentalists that want to do everything they can to shut down the writing areas that we have. And the California Coastal Commission is so liberal that they're really pushing to make it happen. They're trying to eliminate OHV use, I think, within the next five years. Whatever. Yeah, that's ridiculous. You know, I mean, we, as the ATV community, ATV and UTV community, we have, you know, we're, we're up against some big money companies that really want to stop what we do. 
you know, and what they don't get is the trickle down effect for their communities. I know like Pismo Beach just opened up this last week and the people there are saying, thank God, because the businesses are starting to get more people coming back in there. They're starting to get business because without that riding area, that take the, the surrounding towns, they're going to starve. And it's sad to see. I mean, I've been going there since I was a kid. That was one of the first places I think I ever learned to ride in, in ATC before the state actually charged you, you know, to even drive onto the beach. I mean, I remember, you know, going my, I grew up with my family in a blazer club and we'd go there camping a couple times a year. We go all the way to where the beach ended, like a devil slide in Guadalupe area. I mean, there are some pristine viewing areas out there that people just don't even know because they've never had a chance to get there. Well, it, it's just like anything it, that you get people that don't know getting involved in things that they know nothing of because they don't like an off-road vehicle or they don't like the noise, you know, but it's okay to do what their hobby is as long as it, it, it doesn't affect, if it affects me, it doesn't matter because it's yeah. their hobby and, and they want yeah. to do it. Um, they don't realize that all the people in Pismo in that, in that surrounding community need that money. That's what keeps well, them alive. They absolutely do. Absolutely do. Whether it be for property taxes, you know, the business taxes, the sales taxes, they get off of it's, they make, they make millions, if not billions of dollars a year from the OHV use. And I think it's a small percentage of people that really, you know, you get the retirees like, I bought this place to retire and I'm going to, you know, live a good life. And I can't, you know, they're saying they can't breathe. Is the air quality the best? Probably not, but for different reasons aside from what OHVs contribute to it. You know, there's there's just there's a natural effect that happens over there that has nothing to do with the OHV use. Right. And when I've been, like I said, I've followed it, you know, a bit over the last years and they've been having the meetings for the coastal commissions there, and I've been seeing some of the videos. And the land developers have it in fine print saying there there are air quality issues. People sign off on it. You know, and it amazes me the fact that you signed off on this, but yet you're still going to complain about it, and you're going to try and shut down people's people's livelihoods. I mean, one of the most one of the most impactful stories that I remember listening to was the person who owns the Chevron Street on I think it's Grover Avenue, the main strip that goes into Bismo. I said that Chevron has been there like again since I was a kid. That guy tore down his whole business, rebuilt it to accommodate toy haulers coming through. I mean, he's got he says he's got 20 some odd pumps. All of them have like air hoses or they can come in there. I mean, he truly tailored the property to accommodate the off-highway, you know, users of their trailers coming through. And he said he employs something like 20 or 30 people or something like that. He said he loses that business. You only need about five employees. Yeah, so you just lost 15 jobs. 15 jobs. 15 families suffer. Yep. Unemployment goes up. You're, they're not going to be getting the, the income tax, the income tax on those people. Right. You know, I mean, it, 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 people don't realize the, the trickle down effect of what really happens. And, you know, I really hope for anybody that listens to this, if you're in Southern California, like pay attention to what's going on in your state or even for anybody else for that matter, because just because it's happening in California right now, doesn't mean it can't happen where you're at because it's going to trickle down. Well, you have a trickle down you know, effect with so many different businesses and so many different things going on in so many States that are affecting it, you know, where jobs are being lost. Look at the pipeline deal. 
Yeah. That's affecting that affects the off-roader because those guys, those families off-road, whether they off-road in Jeeps or mutters, you know, or 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 whatever they're doing, it's an off-road community that that's suffering because they're losing the income from those families aren't rebuilding motors, they're not buying lift kits, they're not buying wheels and tires. You know, we're all being affected. Absolutely. Absolutely. It seems when anybody wants to step in and, and start to regulate everything and have a, have a big problem about anything, it, it creates, like you were saying, Eli, this big trickle down effect where everybody gets affected by it, but they're not paying attention to the long run. You know, they're pay, paying attention to their immediate problem and their immediate issue and uh, not realizing the long term effects of it. I don't, I don't think that most of the regulatory people, are educated on the environment that they're trying to destroy. What I mean by that is the industry that they're they're destroying. They have no clue what it is, how it works and what it's all about. And most of them are cleaner, like California Air Resources Board. These guys attack things all the time that, that they have no business involving themselves in. Absolutely, absolutely. And something I, I find is kind of funny is that you have the Coastal Commission, which handles the coastline up and down the state and what happens along it. Um, they're the ones that are really working with local communities to shut it down. And they're getting a lot of money from companies like Sierra Club and, you know, to shut this, to, to shut down public land, you know, for, for anybody. I mean, there's no beach. All they pretty much, all they want, you can walk down the beach and that's it. And the thing that really made me laugh is I was watching a commercial for California, uh, California tourism, and you know, and they have video clips of people horseback riding, backpacking, mountain biking, and then all of a sudden you're seeing UTVs going through the dunes. And the only place you can do that in California, Pismo Beach. Pismo Beach. So you have California tourism trying to get people to come here, and they're they're promoting something that California government is trying to shut down. And it's like. Well, the, the main solution to it is if the off-road community, the, the end user, the people that go there, if they're the ones that get involved, they're the ones that are going to have to solve it because industry people, industry companies, yeah, we can make people aware, but ultimately it's, it's the people in the communities that have to step up and, and do this because they're they're millions of strong instead of just a few businesses strong. Correct. Correct. You know, and that's why, like I said, if you can get to the meetings, go to the meetings. If you can't, figure out a way to be active. Because I mean, it's easy to say, like, oh, I can go here. This it's not gonna get affected over here. I mean, just because you don't live there doesn't mean it's not gonna come to you at some point. You know, and people people need to realize that they do need to to step up. You know, they need to get involved because you know the next place that might be closing might be your backyard. Well, it's happening all over the all over the country that that these things are being attacked for various reasons. You know, Michigan, the Silver Lake has. Look at Arizona. You know, you can get fined. I've been to Arizona for when I was working with the magazine for. Um, for some media intros and man, you had, I, I, I don't know if it's BLM land or whichever, whichever government organization 
control that area. If you kicked up dust, man, they were busting your, they were busting their balls about it. They were getting fines like crazy for kicking up dust in the desert where there's nothing around because you're affecting the air quality. It's like, okay, but you get natural, you get those natural haboobs that more or less whip in through Phoenix and it's a huge dust storm. It's a natural occurrence. It's just the terrain you're in. You have a UTV or something that's kicking up dust. They're coming in there and they're just looking to find it and make some money off. And it's like that, oh. that kind of stuff just amazed me when I was hearing about that happening. I get it, man. I get it. Hey, Bones, in, in, yes, when sir. you were talking about the wheel sales in the ATV um, market, have you noticed any upswing in your three-wheeler sales on wheels? You know, the uh, there's no doubt that there has been. Um, seen a lot of the uh, little ATC 70 crowd certainly <laughs> are going wild. You know, the, the amount of money that they're pouring into some of these full suspension build little ATC seventies is unreal. And, uh, and, and obviously the big trikes as well. I mean, the two fifty R crowd, we're seeing, seeing a lot more of that, but uh, it seems the guys who are really spending the money per wheel. So it's a little ATC seventies. It's kind of bizarre. Well, hey, it's got to start somewhere and you got to get the kids, even though mostly the, the adults ride them, you got to get the kids to see them, to enjoy them so that the kids will roll into the ATV stuff. Uh, you know, the, the best thing about COVID and the, is it got people outside again. Yeah, yeah, true. Absolutely. People are, are going out and recreating more now than they have in the past. That's for sure. You know, it seemed as soon as COVID hit, uh, you know, we were, we were preparing for the worst and, uh, quite to the contrary business took off, you know, we're, we're busier now than we've been for quite some time. And, uh, you know, right this second, it doesn't seem to show signs of slowing. Uh, I do have my doubts that it's going to last, but you know, we'll make hay while the sun shines while people are still buying. It's, uh, it's fantastic time to be, be here and making wheels. That's for sure. Is there any other industries that are growing in the wheel industry that, that you've seen? You know, pretty much uh, for us, because we do cover such a wide range of applications, really everything's been busy, but the ATV stuff, it really seems like we saw a big influx of buyers. Um, and oddly enough, a lot of the guys who are buying now, it's, it's going to sound odd, but it's the, uh, it's the city boys, the guys that are literally doing wheelies down the middle of main street and, uh, and aren't necessarily using them for off-road, but want something that's flashy and cool and custom. Um, even down in like Puerto Rico, we see a big, a uh, lot of sales down in Puerto Rico. They want something very specific and it isn't so much about, you know, it, 10, 20 years ago, everyone wanted something that was strong, something they could take on Baja with, something they could finish a race or a season with. Those now, lightweight. Yeah. Now the, lightweight. Yeah. the biggest concern is the look. You know, they, they want it to look a certain way. And uh, it's, it's definitely an interesting shift from how it was years ago. That's crazy. I, I, I know a lot of people are always talking you know, let's make it lighter. Let's make it lighter. And when you start making them lighter, they don't live as long. No, they do not. The, the, uh, the classic 
uh, classic re request is I want it as light as possible and as strong as possible. And yeah, those two things don't go together. You can have one or the other, but together, ah, that's, that's not always how it works. That's an oxymoron. <laughs> I, I know my dealings with those guys back there. I mean, those guys, I never imagined how big the drag racing scene was down in Puerto Rico. And those mm -hmm. guys, they throw some money at those bikes. You know, yeah. Long it's, narrow chassis and their triple cylinders. And, the, you know, they, they're, it's crazy. I never imagined that the market was so big down there in Puerto Rico, but it is, it is amazing. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because the, the mindset there appears to be quite different. When I talk to my dealers down there, you know, uh, I remember when the, the hurricanes came through there and, and wiped everything out. And, you know, I asked them, man, how you guys are still, your customers are still spending some real money on wheels. And, you know, the mindset there is they want a cool toy. If the house is a little in shambles or missing a few panels or, you know, the roof needs some new shingles, they don't really seem to care as much about that as having the, the bitchiness toy out there. So it's, it's definitely a different mindset from the typical uh, United States buyer. Yeah. I, when we deal with engine companies down there, the guys that are building uh, drag toys, they're wanting to take 400 EXs and make them, you know, beat seven, 700 Raptors. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh, you're just going to spend thousands of dollars and lose. If they come close to doing it though, that gives them street cred. You know, even if they lose, if they can make it run close to it, that guy built a badass 400 EX that almost beat a Raptor. <laughs> <laughs> One run. <laughs> I get it. I mean, it's, to me, it makes no sense, but it, it's not my money, man. I just okay. It's a very backwards way of thinking, but I mean, it might, maybe that's what helps them get the business. Well, they also have, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but I've seen some videos of like uh, group rides that they put together and there's thousands of people on all different kinds of machines just in the group ride from UTVs and ATVs and it's just all lumped in and they're all having a great time and, and, and they're, they're all over the place. It's, it's unbelievable. I, I was the most amazing thing I've seen. I watched a video of it. Uh, a gentleman that I started talking to in Puerto Rico, um, you know, uh, sent me this video and I just thought it was incredible. Couldn't believe that many people. You know yeah. Wouldn't it be something to see that here in America? Wouldn't it be something to see that kind of crowd and that kind of excitement level back in the ATV industry? I think you have excitement in the ATV industry. I think we have a different mindset and, you know, believe it or not, as free a country as we are, we're regulated and not free. Mm, you can't do this, you can't do that. You can't go race here. You can't go ride there. Um, there's just so many, there's just too many damn rules. There's too many damn people saying you can't do wait a minute. I want to do, <laughs> there's no reason why we shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you on that one. And, and, you know, if you do much Baja stuff, you know, they've, they've restricted the movements down in, in San Felipe area by gates and, and uh, closing off some of the property because uh, the farmers or the, the people that own it got tired of the abuse. The UTVs have torn it up so bad that they don't want the motorcycles going through there or the quads going through there anymore. They don't want anybody going through there. They don't care. 
What a shame. That's certainly going to hurt things down there. Well, you know, there's etiquette and I don't think that, uh, I don't think there's much etiquette left in the, like in the sand dunes. When was the last time you went out? Oh man, it's, uh, it's been a while, but I remember seeing the shift in, in the crowd. You know, it used to be that, that uh, the classic when, when you're passing a group and, and they would hold up their hand for how many people are behind them. And, you know, you could actually stay safe and, and, uh, not worry about getting hit. And now, yeah, anyone with, uh, with a decent credit rating can go sign up to have a, you know, 150 horsepower UTV. That's man, they don't know how to drive. They don't know what they're doing. And, uh, and there is no etiquette. It's, it's all me, 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 me. Yeah. I mean, kind of like driving down the freeway nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> I, I mean, I love the fact that those people are out there at the desert and enjoying and, and having a great time. I just wish that their friends that have been going to the desert for years would teach them just a little bit of desert etiquette, you know, which side of the trail do you ride on, you know, raising your hand to help your fellow, uh, you know, ride partners know that there's danger or, or something coming. And yes, you can stick your hand out the window of your UTV and, and let everybody know, turn the radio down and uh, put your beer back in the holder. And, and just the kind of camaraderie that people have in a dance. I mean, I, I can't tell you how it's been a, probably a couple of years since I've been out there, but you know, while we were out in a group ride, if we saw somebody who was stuck in the witch's eye, we go over and help them. You know, it's, Cause you don't know how bad the situation is. And I've been over there I and mean, I've seen people with just bent tire rods, busted arms and people just kind of cruise on by. Like karma comes back to bite you. And it's just, that's the way we were raised. Like I think probably all of us were raised and you go out to something like that. Just if somebody looks like they need help, give them some help, you know, because would you want to be stuck out there in the middle of the night or all day, you know, when something that happened. And as there's just not enough of that, that kind of thought nowadays. It seems like everybody's just like, I want to get to where I'm going. That's it. It's just that self-centeredness and it sucks. Yeah. There's a lot of that. And I mean, it comes back from the education of the companies that sell the product need to help educator. You almost need to have, uh, you know, help me out here, Eli, a etiquette school or a, uh, Maybe some common sense. Bones, that's right. You know, for me, it's like when I was working in a dealership, you know, you just, you just treat your customers good, you know, which bone, like both you guys, I've worked with you guys for years and you guys always have. And you just want to have, it's a level of, it's a level of respect that we've, that we're taught and we just try to project to the people. Um, and I think once the people see that respect, it, it, it just it's kind of like a pay it forward type thing. Well, I uh, I've learned over the years to, um, you know, treat people the way you want to be treated, and I want to treat my customers golden because that's how I want to be treated. And yeah. you know, if this happens or that happens, I want to be there for them. You know, I want them to know that I'm I'm just a phone call or an email away uh, because. Th- 
they, they need and they're out riding or they're out doing this or they're putting their machine together on a weekend and there's nobody to talk to. So they lose days getting ready for their event that they're trying to go to. You know, I, I have this leash next to me now that has email on it. And, and I tell everybody, Hey, put your phone number in there. If I'm not doing anything on a Sunday, I'm going to call you and talk you through your issue. If I can't help you, then I'll be in on Monday, even though we're closed to, to help you. And, and uh, Bones, I know your guys' customer service is, <laughs> is pretty top notch as well. Yeah. When you were, when you were talking about the, the phone number, and the email, I was thinking, yeah, I, I generally tell customers if you have an issue over the weekend, find me on social media. You know, I always, uh, we always get constant messages and DMS via Instagram and Facebook and, and yeah, I find myself answering them all hours of the night and, and seven days a week. Cause I mean, it's, it's we treat people the way we want to be treated. You know, we give people the level of service we, uh, we feel they deserve and, and we appreciate their business. And if that means answering a phone call after hours or answering an email or DM, then eh, so be it. You know, you better and, customers that way. And, yeah, yeah and absolutely. Now, in the business world, um, that's how that's how you get your business. You know, I like, and I was working at the uh, Yamaha dealership in Corona when I was there, and I was the assistant price manager running things. And you know, were our prices the best? We we're competitive, but no, there are places. Obviously, there are places that were, you know, everybody tries to. There's some places that would undercut us. But I always prided myself when I'd work with my customers, like, hey, if you need something, if I can have it for you quicker than the other house, like if I can have it to you same day or the next day, I will do it for you, you know. And when you come through so many times, uh, if somebody's wanting to go riding on a Saturday, but they need a piston that they can put in Friday night, I was calling my guys at White Brothers and it was around. My, the kid was coming home, brought it, dropped it off, and people were just amazed. Was it a little more expensive than, let's say, going on eBay or finding something online? Absolutely. But you took care of the customer. They were happy with it. They were a return customer. And they told everybody else to come back to you. you yeah, know? that's a long-lasting customer that you can count on for years. Exactly. And I said, wasn't always the cheapest, but sometimes, and that's where yeah, this whole thing comes around. The cheapest price isn't always the best. The part might be exactly the same. You know, you might... Might get a fat boy for from someone else that's just undercutting even your guys' prices, but the level of service, if they need something for it, is different from you, Lenny, but being at Duncan Racing, they would be going through some dealers. Because I know there's there are dealers out there where people are just getting smoking deals on suspension kits. They're waiting three months to get them. And then when they get them, if there's a piece missing, they're still waiting weeks out to get like a little piece that could really be like a day away, but the little service that that company has behind it just doesn't support it. You know, you don't, you don't realize that value of that client (laughs) or that, that service until you go out in the world. You know, one of the most frustrating things I can do is, is I go and, and get things or try to do things for my family and, and I can't get customer service. Yeah. No, that seems like customer service has definitely, uh, definitely died off. And, uh, you know, it's, it's certainly with COVID, it has, uh, it has really made it interesting. I find myself calling and leaving more messages than ever with businesses. And, you know, you know, good and well that their employees are at home, uh, 
and they're just not next to their phone, not there to answer. When you do get them, it's a horrible connection. And, uh, I think, I think the level of customer service has dwindled greatly. You know, when you call here, there's always someone to answer the phone. And, uh, if, if you actually get our voicemail, that means that we have, you know, three or four people already on the phone and there is just simply no one to answer your call, but there's always someone, you know, you're not going to get a voicemail. You're not going to get a, you know, dial one for service or two for tech. No, it's, it's someone on the phone, real service. Yeah. I, I think that we have always prided ourselves. I think Eli, you know, this firsthand oh, yeah. of being there, uh, to answer the tech call, to answer the questions, to direct them to the information that they need. Um, you know, I, I'm also not above, you know, if I don't have a part, you know, and I can't provide a part, Hey, but so-and-so has this part in stock and this is what you need. This is how much it costs. And here's their phone number. Call them. I know they have it. They'll take care of you. And you'd be amazed at how many times those customers call back and buy something from you, a t-shirt, a hat, or, you know, Hey, can you send me some decals? You helped me. And I got to go ride this weekend because of that part that that other guy sold me that you directed me to. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's like I said, it's just that you make them feel good, you know, for working with you. And you just take care of, just take care of the customer. That's it's so many of these companies out there that I see. It's like these fly by night places and they're, they're up all over the place, you know, take care of your customer and you get them. It's, we've just seen so much, especially when the industry was good. And let's say 2003, 2002, 2003, when the industry was really blowing up. I mean, you had, companies just pop up like crazy and everybody just made the buck off it. But when it, when it started crashing, who are the ones that are, that, that hung in there? You know, the, the ones that had really the ones that had good customer service and the ones that had good product. Right. Right. And that's how you establish ensuring that your customers are happy with what you do and how you treat them and what you're making. One of the questions I had is, one of the biggest problems that we face in, and I don't know how to solve this is you have internet sellers from all walks of life doing or all types of off-road apparel re, uh, from roll cages to wheels, to VCUs to whatever it is. Right. And the service for most of those companies is so bad that we are getting, we're getting inundated with their parts or, or what they need to do because I can't, uh, you know, I, I don't have an answer for the people. They call me, you know, wanting cause of service from XY company because they bought it online, you know, uh, and, and I just tell them, I says, I can't, give you free tech for the level that you need because you're not my customer. I can help you to a point, but I can only help you so far. Yeah. That's what the dealer should be doing. What can we do to offset the online guy that offers zero tech support? And is it just online? I mean, I, uh, I field questions on a regular basis from, 
from all of my dealers, you know, where, where a customer isn't getting the level of service or the answers he needs. And he ends up calling us instead of calling the guy he bought it from, you know, there, there should be these dealers making the money that they do on the product should be offering some level of service and support. You know, they're not getting a cut on it just simply to make that sale. They're getting a cut to, to be the representative uh, for the manufacturer. And I think that, uh, I think that's gone. I mean, I don't, I don't see dealers out there really wanting to put the effort in, you know, you mentioned Lenny about the, you know, the online retailers popping up. So you've got a guy there who created a website, populated it with some product and everyone can click around and buy and spend money, but you know, they're not, they're not there to really do the support, offer the service, offer the information people really need. It's just about the money. Yeah. And it can't be about the money to get the money. You have to offer the service. Um, and, and so many people don't, don't do that anymore. And, and I know sometimes the hardest thing for me to do is answer emails on a consistent basis because one day I'm at my desk, the next day I'm in the shop. Then I'm, I'm part 50, 50, then I'm back, you know, maybe on the desk in the morning and in the shop the rest of the day. So the weakest thing for me to do is answer some of those emails. I get to them uh, and I get to all of them. Eventually it's just, sometimes they're a little later than I would like them to be, you know, maybe two or three days, sometimes a week. Um, and people I know get frustrated and I apologize to them. This is, I apologize. I'm giving you everything I got right now because I'm, I'm with you right now. So yep. Yeah, ask the questions and, and and take as long as you want because you have me right now. Sure. Get me on the phone. Don't don't wait for an email. Don't follow up in a day with another email to clog up my inbox. Call me. Call me and we can solve all these problems or answer any of these questions in a heartbeat. But uh yeah, I, I feel you, Lenny, on all the emails. Same thing. And and a lot of it could be the dealers. The dealers take the first step, you know, in educating their employees. I know when I was working with Bike Bandit, you know, you had you had manufacturers for, like, say, like when Canyon would come in, when uh, you know, we had Johnny Jump that was working at Canyon at the time, he'd come in and we do tutorials. So we get, you know, he'd come in and educate all of our sales team. So that way, if people had a question, they can answer to the best of their knowledge. Um, just people learning the product that's that's the number one thing and if like i said if you have dealers most of these manufacturers as long as they have the manpower if they have a dedicated marketing person they typically will go out and train people you know within limited areas or you you know you work with uh you work with training materials that you can send to these people to be educated but i mean i agree it is on the, the responsibility of the seller that they need to hold some of the burden because they're making the money off of it. You're making manufacturers are making a percentage, of course, because it's your product, but these dealers are making something off of too, but you got to be able to work for it. And the work isn't just selling to the customer. It's actually supporting the product as well. You know, and maybe that's where it comes down to a point where dealers kind of have to crack down. You know, it's like, Hey, part of our, part of our deal to make you a dealer is you have to support the product. And you can't do that. And maybe you don't sell a product. You know, that's kind of a crappy way of looking at it. I mean, that that could help simplify the product too. And and 
Yeah. Bones, I don't know if it works this way for you, but when you sell a wheel to a dealer and it goes to the retail, the customer doesn't get to you. The customer goes to the dealer. Yeah. You know, (laughs) our phone's all over our website, our phone number. So, uh, you know, we still get those calls. I mean, it, it, uh, we're not difficult to get a hold of. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, we want to take care of anyone that has our product, whether they, whether they bought it from us or from someone else, whether they got it new or secondhand, you know, at the end of the day, if it's got the OMF name on it, we're going to do everything we can to uh, help them out in any way we can. But, uh, yeah, it is a little exhausting at times. That's for sure. And personally, I would, I prefer just to go straight to the source and say, how we go through a middleman because you just don't deal with things like this. Can't argue with that. Yeah. I, I just wish I had better insight in a way to help the consumers with what the eBay companies or what the online companies do. Um, you know, it, it's, it's hard. I try to help as much as I can. And sometimes I have to tell them I'm, I'm not your, I, I'm the manufacturer, but you didn't buy it from me and I'm not your outlet. They are. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely a, a chain of command, so to speak. The dealer definitely needs to take some of the responsibility. You know, I mean, and you have some dealers who go, well, you have to warranty. No, I'm going to warranty it from you. I bought, I sold it to you, not the customer. I sold it to you. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I feel you on that one. And, and how do you deal with... How do you deal with free freight, Amazon shipping packages, the, the size of a house to people for free? And I'm just like, yeah, not, not here. Can't, can't compete. Sorry. No, I keep asking UPS to do it for free and they, they pretty much just laugh me off the phone every time. So <laughs> it is what it is. I don't know how that one works out. You know, I've always been amazed because again, when I was working at bike bandit, that place Originally, it was a very cool outlet. You know, um, you can get your gear, you can get parts and everything from there. And when I started there, um, we were really in the boom. of the, the UTV industry was just blowing up. And I'm low under all of our sites and going, why aren't you guys selling like doors? You know, door kits are the, those are the bread and butter for pretty much any anybody that were selling UTV parts. You know, and... Um, and just like, oh, we just, we get killed on the freight. We get killed on the freight. And I could see this mom and pop shop, you know, internet store and literally just popped up, never seen it before. And they're like, hey, free freight on these doors. I'm like, how is it that this company has been around for a month, can give free freight on a set of doors, but yet this company who's been using, using UPS for 17 years can't get free freight? Nobody could give me an answer for I said, because until you guys work that out, you're, you're totally missing the boat on cashing in on a huge market. Yeah, but you give me you the, know? how do you solve that one? You I, even I, I mean, you can buy something from Amazon, which a choke, choke, the devil of the world. Um, yeah. and, and you can buy that glass tonight and have it tomorrow free for eight. Mm-hmm. The shipping to get the glass there cost it more, cost more than the glass. How are they doing it? How are they still making money? 
<laughs> yeah, it defies logic. <laughs> I have no idea. Because volume. Guys that are selling wheels. That's in the volume, and then they are taking, I know for a fact, they're taking a good chunk off of the people that are selling. You know, um, Bike Bandit, we, we had to, we had to sell stuff on Amazon, you know, just to try and be competitive. I don't, I, I couldn't understand why but we were always, you know, the head of the departments I was working in, like, we just, we have to get things up on Amazon. We have to sell things there. I'm like, we're just not making the margin. We're like, we're actually losing by selling on Amazon. So let's just cut it out. You know, but so many people, and I am not a fan. I, I, I you know, my wife loves Amazon. I realistically, I hate it. You know, and I'm not even a fan of, I'm a brick and mortar person. I, if I can get something and I can go to a store, I'd much rather go to a store, have it in my hand right then and there and be done. Like bookstores, everything. I'm all about it. So e-commerce is just, it's like that necessary evil because you have to be involved in it or else you're just going to get looked over. It's, it's like and, self-checkout, dude. Yeah. Okay. I don't work here. I don't work here. I'm not getting a discount to self-checkout. So why am I doing it? No, I'm going to go through the line and you're going to check me out and you should be bagging my groceries because I don't work here. I'm not getting a discount for a service lost. And I try to explain that to my kids and they don't get it. Yeah, it's definitely a different, uh, a different mindset nowadays. You know, people are always after the, uh, the cheapest option. Hence the reason Amazon does so well. You know, their pricing is killer. And you can, like you said, you get it online, you get it tomorrow, free shipping. You know, it's all about, uh, all about saving a buck. Well, we got to do something in our industry to educate our client or, or make it so that they understand that we are brick and mortar and we are giving them something for that so that they should pay the shipping or they should pay that extra because you don't get any customer service at Amazon. No, that's for sure. You couldn't get a call back to save your life. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Service is not the same. No. And, and I think that educating the consumer, which I, there again, I don't know how to do it other than to, to speak with them and to give them everything I have when I'm, they have me on the phone and I know my brother gets a little frustrated because some of those tech calls or some of those, those uh, discussion calls get a little long, but you know, every one of those guys that you spend all that time with generally call back and generally spend money. Absolutely. Just as you earn that customer. Yeah. You know, you, you, I mean, how many guys call up on wheels and they're too expensive and then you spend time with them, you explain it. They call back a second time, they call back a third time and the fourth time they order. Yeah, it, it does happen. It does happen. And, and you're absolutely right. There's times when, you know, I might be on a five minute phone call or, you know, I might spend a half hour or more on a phone call with somebody and, uh, you know, it is what it is. If they've got valid questions and, and, uh, and a real interest, then, you know, we're here to answer those questions and, uh, and make them comfortable with the product and make them comfortable with spending their money with us. Bones, if you're on the phone for 30 minutes, we know it's your wife. <laughs> Shh, don't tell anybody. Experience. Hey, I've had a long conversation in the, in the day. Trust me. I think we all have. <laughs> 
So outlook of the industry guys, where are we at? Man. That's, that's a hard one. I want to say we're on the upswing, but I mean, it's on the upswing of the aftermarket because, you know, what bikes, like their bikes are coming back to be retro right now. Like the 250R, I mean, people, I'm starting to see, I'd be along to a lot of different groups on Facebook, and people are like really starting to chomp at the bit over the 250R again. Um, like roll design chassis. Before, I remember, I think when I was working over there, you know, and the industry kind of took a dump after the whole the pro production rule came into effect. You're picking up a world chassis for like what six grand? No, sixteen. No, 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 no. used. You can you can find a used one oh, dirt right. cheap for a while. Right, right, really. Not, cheap. Not, not, I'm saying not even hammered, but just you know a decent condition world chassis with yeah. you know a, a, a complete bike for like six, seven grand. Yep. You know which the sure. frames of those things were like six grand. Uh, now you used to buy a frame from roll for 12 grand. Yeah. Okay. Now, if you buy a frame from him, they're 18,000. Okay. Wow. okay. You have to have the pieces to put on it or, or if you start buying the pieces, then you can spend 40 grand on a 250 R in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. But people are starting to go for those bikes again. They want to start getting those, unique bikes like the smaller the niche markets i think are the ones that are really kind of taken off like bones was saying about the atc 70s like as soon as he started talking wheels i was gonna throw a joke and be like yeah like the atc 70s coming back because i belong to make c70 groups and the wheels you know the wheels you guys are cranking out bones well pretty much every wheel you guys put out is just awesome you know they all look bitching and badass and that's why when it comes to aftermarket wheels like you guys are the ones that I tell people to go to because you guys are making that standing product and you back it. That's a great thing. Appreciate but, that. You know, like some ATC 70. You know, like, he wants wheels. a set of wheels, right? <laughs> I don't use right now, so I'm good. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, I got my little TRX 70, but we can start talking later. Um, See right there. He's going to want to. I'm taking but, notes. But you look at that, you look at Lone Star. You know, Lone Star started putting together these ATC 70 kit, a full suspension kit. You know, like they're seeing the demand for the niche market. And I, it's, it's, it's building little by little. They're starting to build, you know, and I'd love to see companies start coming back for ATC. Eli, look over my right shoulder. Yeah. Yeah, I know you got it. That's an, that's an original. That's from old, the old on the boulevard Danny's machine works before it was Duncan racing. So you're talking early eighties, 70 suspended 70 frame. Yeah. I, well, I think one of the last times I was at your place, I was talking to your pops and he, he was working on three of them there, which I had no he idea. Has, he has five of them. He has five of them that he's working on. And if you know, dad, you know, he works on it one day and then three months later he comes back and yeah, he's still working on the same projects. <laughs> but that's now I know where you're getting from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's it's great. This I I'm really excited to get to see some of these machines coming back. I mean, I'm seeing some beautiful 250Rs getting turned out, and now the three wheeler craze. Um, I love the fact that it's coming back. I mean, I know probably five years ago in Southern California, you started seeing like Lake Elsinore Grand Prix, and it's kind of resurgence that they had. They started running the ATC classes in there. 
you know, some of those dudes in those bikes, those guys are quick. And I had my ATC a long time ago, loved it, kind of regret selling it. But I mean, and I thought I rode it pretty darn good. These guys are just insane. You know, don't know where they came from, how the woodworks, but it's awesome. And now you have companies like, I think it's BBC, they're doing the uh, four-stroke dirt bike conversions. Mm-hmm. They're, they're coming out with some amazing looking machines as well. And, you know, the thing that surprises me, like in the, in the midst of a pandemic, people are having these things made. Like, we're, you know, we need this money. We need this. So it's like, well, everybody's got, everybody always has money for toys. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's not necessarily a bad thing. I, I, I like it, you know, because people need to be able to get out and recreate. We, you know, we need, we all need it for our sanity. Mm, true. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, but I, I really like the fact that you're seeing these you know, smaller markets, like said, ATCs, ATC 70s, TRX 70s, they're just starting to make this resurgence. And even in 250Rs, you know, this, I, I like the fact you're seeing this resurgence. Uh, it's, it's just really cool to see. And, you know, and, and these machines coming back, you're starting to see these other companies. Well, again, like with Duncan Racing, you have the ATCs are getting popular again. How much more demand are you getting for your guys' high rev pipe? Um, we sell it. We remade it this year, 20 and 2020. It came back in 2020. Um, it was a little rough coming back because it came back in the middle of the pandemic and advertising was slow, but sales are steady, you know, and, uh, they're still selling and people are still buying them. And it's a little crazy, you know, you don't sell something for 10 or 12 years. And all of a sudden you're, you know, there it goes. It's selling. We yeah. have the type six pipe, the Paul Turner type six pipe, the woods pipe. You know, I haven't had anybody ask for one of those in almost 20 years and people are calling up asking for them. And I'm like, uh, really? Yeah. I mean, we, we're struggling to make uh, the eliminator pipe, which is our best seller, our best selling 250R pipe. And we're struggling to build it right now. I mean, it's just, we, there's a labor problem in this country and I don't know what you do to solve that. It is hard to find good help. There's no doubt about that. It's the, the struggles in the manufacturing aspect of it. It's not just help. It's craftsmen. It's people that know. Okay. That you can, I can hire somebody to take orders and to type things into the computer. I can't hire anybody to work in the shop with me because they're not qualified. Hi, this is Stephanie from JSR Moto Designs. JSR Moto Designs specializes in replacement Nerf bar nets for all makes and models that can be fully customizable to your needs. Our custom apparel can be specifically designed for your race team. We can help make what you wear personal on and off the track, including embroidered or printed hoodies, jackets, t-shirts, hats, jersey lettering, butt patches, and more. Check us out at jsrmotodesigns.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram. And, and I hate to say it in any of our trades, it takes years and years of, of learning your trade um, to get them down. You know, mm-hmm. whether you're in the, whether you're, whether you're working on diesel pickups or, or, you know, tractors, you know, John Deere tractors or, or, you know, paving roads, 
the, the experience that you get from doing it for a number of years and developing your skill set. Yeah, there's no replacement for experience. I mean, uh, to me, you know, when a new hire comes in here, it really doesn't matter much to me what their uh, what their resume says and what their college degree says. You know, it's it's attitude for me. You know, I want to see a good attitude and, and someone that's willing to learn and gain that experience through some real effort. Uh, but that's that's hard to find. Yeah. You got to learn how to sweep the floor before you can run a machine or before you can, uh, I can hand you a wrench and let you work on a customer's machine. Uh, I mean, Eli, Eli's worked with me and he knows uh, our, our level of our level of uh, what we expect out of a person is pretty high, you know, it, it almost, almost unobtainable sometimes, but we put that pressure on ourselves every day because our greatest competitor is putting our pants on every day and going out and doing better than we did the day before. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I remember working there. It's just people, people look at it, you know, not any one company, but people look at some of these companies as they're elitist because they do this, they do this. They're not talking like they're elitist. They just want to make sure that you're getting the very best and that they're offering you the best service. I mean, I remember and this is a story I remember like my really kind of introduction to having you guys work on one of my first ATVs was my banshee. Brought my bike down there, dropped it off, you know, had you guys do a full national kit on it. And I remember the day that I picked it up on a Saturday, I drove down from LA. And it's funny, and I'm not trying to knock him, but I remember being felt a feeling as if I was being scolded because I had a dirty air filter on my quad. You were being scolded because and, and, but the thing is there's a reason for it. And it's like, hey, this is how you're gonna run that's how you're gonna run the product. Your motor is gonna die, and we're not gonna be responsible for it. And it's like that's the way you have to get you sink it into somebody's head. After that, you had three filters every time I went out to the desert, constantly changing, constantly washing. Is it a pain in the ass? It can be a pain in the ass, but it's five minutes out of your out of your day before you go right and put a fresh filter on there to get the maximum performance and to ensure your motor is gonna live. But who, yeah, whose money is it? Who am I saving money here? Exactly, exactly. But it's just like some people look at that as like, oh, those guys are kind of dicks. But the thing is, they weren't. You guys weren't. You're you're educating me saying, hey, if you want this thing to last and run bitching, this is what you have to do. And you want, and like I said, when you pay, when you're paying money for performance, you need to listen to things like that. And I, I think that gets lost on people. You know, um, they just figure I just took a bunch of money. It should run bitching for like five years. If I'm going out to the desert, you know, 20 times, I shouldn't have to rebuild this for at least another five years. And that's not the case, especially if motors. Dream on. Dream on. Exactly. The manufacturer doesn't even tell you they live that long. Yeah. You know, the, the, the Banshee 250R motors. Um, if you think about how, well, you know, you take 400 EXs and warriors and, and you take some of the old school stuff, do they just run and run and run LT80 LT80 is probably the most abused four wheeler ever sold. And you know what they live and live and live unbelievable. The people abuse them so bad. And if you took your street car 
and you abused it that bad, you'd buy a new new car every two years. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's just even if you it, it, people don't think you have to change the oil more often in the dirt because the dirt gets in. I'm sorry. There's filters. There's all these things, the vent tubes there. There's all these things stopping the dirt from getting in, but it gets in. So you have to change the oil more. You have to, you know, lube things more. You have to do more maintenance to get them to live. How often is your car? What's the 450 R? I mean, not like we all have a tack on them. When you're running a 450 R in the desert, even on a racetrack, that motor is probably spinning on what? 10,000 RPM? Um, the 450R at peak, 11.2. 11.2? <laughs> what car do you drive that you have running at 11.2? What happened? <laughs> you don't. Yeah, no. mine sure isn't. Mine sure isn't. I'm like hitting four grand. I'm like hey, closing my eyes, making sure I don't have a valve coming out the golf car. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. But you got a motor spinning 11.2? It's like that, that breaks down oil that much faster. You know, it's, and people, like I said, I, they think, I think how people think back of like 400EX where 400EX or the, you know, the same motor as the uh, XR400, you ran those things out of oil, you put in a couple quarts and you went right back at it and it just puffed a bit of smoke. These are not the same motors. No, they're, they're not the same motors, but they have the same mentality. They have the same mentality. They've been out for 20 years. They're indie car motors that you run in your ATV or your motorcycle. Um, the motorcycles have less failure rate because they're pushing less rate weight. Yeah. Um, and motorcycle people generally don't buy a motorcycle to own for a lifetime. ATV people generally buy an ATV and own it seven years. Yeah. Okay. A motorcycle guy owns it about two. And then he gets. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it crazy? Right. That is, that's something else. I, I had no idea. Yeah. And, and you got, you get some motorcycle people that own them longer than that, but most of them are transitioning into the newest, greatest model every two years, especially the serious rider that's in, into it, that, that does it a lot. So um, your ATV guy, you look at the LT 500 or, or the people that own three wheelers that have owned it from day one, they still own them. Uh-huh. You know, they've restored it twice. Um, in, in, in the 30 some years and, uh, you know, or rebuilt it and put cranks in them or, you know, they didn't ride for 10 years. So they didn't have to do maintenance. Uh, yeah. it, it's crazy what the consumer thinks it's not your lawnmower. You're not going to go out and pull the pull start for 20 years and have it run. You're killing this thing in the dirt and abusing it. And you need to maintain it at a higher level because the modern day four stroke uh, you know, they rev to an, they rev higher than a Banshee. Yeah. There's more moving pieces. They're lighter weight. Um, they make, and the, and the funniest thing I hear is, well, I don't race it. So I don't really need to do that kind of maintenance to it. It's like, you're not racing it, but when you're running, if you're, if you're a desert guy, you're going out to the dunes, you're pushing that motor hard when you're going through all that stuff. You don't think, but you're not racing it, but you're probably putting it equal or beyond what the average racer does. I, I love that because I go, I didn't bring up racing in any conversation that we were having about maintaining your machine. Yeah. I'm talking to you about what the maintenance schedule is for your engine. I don't care if you're racing it or riding it in the sand dunes. It's the same thing. You're actually harder on it 
than the racer because the racer gets done racing, washes it, runs it, takes it apart, cleans it, preps it, and gets it ready to ride again. So every two to three hours, he's putting fresh oil in it. You're going every 10 to 15 hours, sometimes 20 hours. You're killing the motor, which is great. Hey, wear it out. I'll rebuild it. No problem. Don't cry to me when the bill's five grand. Yeah. It's not my fault. I didn't even race it. How is it so much? It's again, it's that the mentality of maintenance and what you need to do to it. It's not the machines that you're riding nowadays are not what they used to be. You know, you want the performance, but you don't want the maintenance of the performance. You're, they're really good. These, they, these, these Yamahas, these Yamaha R's are really good. The, the, I think that uh, 450R Honda is really good. Uh, the LTR has a couple of quirks, but it was a really good motor as well. Um, and they're, they're, they're not Warriors and 400EXs, but for what they are, they're incredible. You know, if you change the oil and keep the air filter clean and don't run pump gas, your bike will live longer, a lot longer, mm-hmm. you know, people don't realize it, but that bones probably is going to choke on this one. Uh, pump gas causes the deterioration of your machine quicker. <laughs> you guys are both stumped. Really? What, what are you talking about? I know. I know. I've gone through this whole conversation with you. Heat is, is, is your number one enemy. And the chemicals and the water that they put in the gas destroys the carburetor. So you're spending money every time you put pump gas in it that you don't need to. Yeah. With anything. I mean, uh, uh, excuse the French, but shit in shit out. Uh, that's what we've always stood by around here. I mean, you, if you don't put the effort in the maintenance, the, the, the right equipment, the right oils. I mean, if you're not going to spend the money to do it right, how can you expect to have good results in the end? Exactly. 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 Now I have a question, um, kind of goes in the, into bones world and you'll know too, Lenny, because of just the environment you guys are in, who's around anymore to make wheels. I mean, I know GPS is out there. Mm -hmm. Yep. GPS and, uh, are they still, (laughs) that seems to be the, uh, that seems to be the question of the year. Uh, yes, DWT is still around. In fact, we got some wheels in from them uh, today and uh, last week. Uh, they 2020 was a rough year for them. Um, you know, it seemed the uh, they moved their business, uh, starting at the end. I bring it up and try and slam any companies so anybody who's listening, (laughs) I always love their wheels. I mean, I've I've, I've had an opportunity to test everybody's wheels, and it's not getting any DWT wheels for Christmas this year. Even if I begged them, I couldn't get them. You know, I just, I don't want to, I'm not trying to come up because obviously Bones is a competitor. He gets product from them, but he's also a competitor of theirs. I'm just trying to figure out what the state is of some of these companies, who's surviving, who's struggling. Because I know for the longest time, like I've always run DWTs. They had, they did great when they were running their champion in the box kits. And now it's just kind of like, what happened to them? People are like, I can't, I've heard numerous Numerous people like we just can't get them. Even distributors for them are like, go ahead and order them, but they're going to be on back order forever. And it's like, okay, just trying to figure out who actually is out there. People can get wheels from. I know there's like GPS. I think Alba's came yep. up with one deal. Um, yeah, it's the pickings are slim. I mean, it used to be obviously back in the day we had uh, DWT Douglas and ITP. 
you know, they, they yeah. held the market. And, uh, I think with the, with the UTVs, there definitely was a shift of resources to bigger wheels, the 12s, the 14s, now the 15s and, and even bigger. So yeah. a lot of the players who were, are big in the industry have shifted their resources to what, what's selling, you know, and that's your average guy with a brand new Can-Am or Polaris UTV. And so the ATV stuff has dwindled off. Um, Douglas had a pretty rough 2020. They moved the business. I put them down for a few months, opened right back up into COVID. And, uh, from what I heard, they even had some issues getting all of their machinery up and running, uh, due in part to issues with getting permits and all the proper stuff in place with the city, um, at their new location. So from what I've heard, they're, they're back up and running at full steam now, but you know, when you, when you have a year of, uh, reduced capacity, you know, the backlog is absurd. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're currently quoting customers. You know, if you place an order with us right now for a set of quad wheels, our best guess is you might see them in and around eight months. You know, I'm, I'm currently pulling orders and, and filling orders that we took in May of 2020. So, you know, if that gives you any idea there, the, the demand is still there. The people still yeah. want them. You know, I have, uh, I have hundreds of orders just waiting for some inventory to show up and, uh, you know, it's starting to flow a little bit faster now. Uh, but there really isn't a lot of choices, you know, back to your original question, Eli, you asked who, you know, who's around. Well, when it comes to quad wheels, GPS, obviously DWT, um, We've seen a few people send in boss racing wheels, which I'm not sure how they qualify as a racing wheel. The, the quality is certainly not to the level of, of what Douglas produces. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people get lost in the, uh, lost in the hype and the advertising and they don't realize the, you know, a Douglas wheel is a artificially aged and heat treated 6061 T6 aluminum wheel. Uh, that kind of quality is expensive and it's not easy to produce. And I think if you put them head to head against a lot of these other companies, uh, the DWT is still going to outshine everything else. And that's why we stick with them. You know, it's, it's the best wheel in the industry has been for decades and uh, it's worth the wait, even if it is a bit long. Yeah. What's the, what's the uh, not, I'm speaking out of my wheelhouse here but you look at a GPS wheel and you look at a DWT, they look identical. Yeah. Yeah. At, you know, on the outside of it, it does. If you compare a Ford Mustang to a Ferrari, you know, they're both red sports cars with V eights and, and leather seats, but there's you know, a reason why you pay more. You know, I'm going to buy the Ford because I like, the Ford better, right? you know, that right. American made. Absolutely. There you go. So, <laughs> be careful where you go with that. There are special people out there in the world, Lenny. We get yep. be, careful, be careful what you're going with. I just saw you steal your son's drink out of his sippy cup. Really, Eli? Yeah, I did. Wow. It's just water. He's outside. He's out there. So. Wow. I'm it's glad called, I can see on that it's one. called resourcing. The resourcing. All right. <laughs> All right. I like it. You know, I, I back like to it. your question for a second, Lenny, you asked, you know, what's the difference? A, the GPS wheel, a Douglas wheel, they all look the same. Uh, I actually had one of my new hires here that asked that same question. So we walked out in the shop and, and I took a Douglas wheel and uh, another wheel. I'll, well, it'll remain nameless, 
but uh, I took those two wheels, one in each hand. And on the side that we were going to be cutting off and bead locking, I smacked the two wheels together. And that Douglas wheel had not an imperfection, nothing. The lip was absolutely perfect. Yet the other wheel had a quarter inch dent in it. So, you know, it's, it's, yeah, by the looks, they all look the same, but the, the reality is the construction, the way they're built, it's not, it's not the same just because it's round and shiny. Doesn't mean it's the same wheel. Uh, DWT is good quality. You know, you just ask them what the construction is. Is it a 6061 T6 like a Douglas or is it not? And, uh, I think you'll find that most, most companies probably can't answer that question or won't answer that question for fear of the real answer. I hear you. I hear you. That's, that's, that, that's the same reason why we've always used DWT right there. Mm-hmm. And yep. anybody remembers the eighties and nineties with, with the shamrock, which oh. was probably the greatest wheel ever built. Don't know why they discontinued that. Um, cost, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, realistically, when you pay $239 for a front wheel and $259 for a rear wheel and, and you needed one set of wheels, you didn't need another set. Yep. That was it. Is you can still get that price for a used wheel today. Yeah. I, I have some, I have some shamrocks stored away. I have to do a little polish work on a little straightening on one of them, but I'm saving them for the correct build at the correct time. Yep. And, and uh, you know, I love those wheels and, and no offense to, to your beautiful wheels that you make bones. I've used yours all over the world. And, and uh, you know, we did a bunch of stuff down in South America with them um, and had some great success with them. So uh, it, it's, it's just all time and people don't even, this is one of the things about ATV talk that, that not everybody understands. I'm trying to bring back some of the history and some of the knowledge that has been lost. You know, you talk to some of the kids that are motocross stars or work stars or GNCC stars and for cross country, for people that don't know that, um, they don't have a clue who these guys are that, that paved the road for them or that cut the trees down so that they could race woods or, you know, were, were doing the jumps, you know, before they had good equipment. Um, you know, you take superheroes like, you know, Donnie Luce and Doug Gust and uh, Marty Hart and Mike Coe. And, you know, there's just so many of the more, you know, Travis Spaders and you just take these heroes that these kids don't even know nowadays. It's unbelievable. Just look at, if you have an opportunity to look at some of the videos of what these guys raced and where they raced back in the day, it's like tracks are totally different, but the machines they run are totally different. I mean, the suspension on a 250 yard that like, let's say Gary Denton raced back in the day compared to what these guys are racing them now totally different. And they were, you know, it's the tracks were not as gnarly as they were today, but they're still running some of the same tracks they were running back then. I, you know what? I disagree. I think that they groom them too much now. I believe motocross is a motocross track. It shouldn't be groomed. Yeah. I mean, it's, I haven't been back east to a national while, so I, I, I thought they still left it after the amateur was going for the pros to go through. Um, no, they groom them and they do all kinds of stuff. Well, back when we were still going to the nationals, they would groom before the pro race. And I'm like, why? Uh, 
They're supposed to be pros. You it's know? supposed to be difficult. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. They come out of race station 37 now. You know, the, the ATV guys get the last race of the weekend, so they get to go after all the pro bikes and everything. <laughs> yeah, and it's tracks, and nobody's, and, and 80% of the people are gone. The, the officials are leaving. You know, they're not even going to get a trophy at the end of it because nobody's there anymore. Exactly. Load your, load your car and get out of here, man. We want to leave. I wonder why the numbers are kind of dwindled down, but um, yeah, there again, it's all you, you get what you pay for and in, in, yeah. people just don't care anymore. And remember, not the, remember the heydays of like Atlanta Grand Prix, man. Yeah. I remember lining up and, uh, there was so many quads on the line. Main I mean, street, we from the starting street. line all the way down to the next street. I mean, it was just a sea of quads and, Man, line after line getting let go. It was just, oh, that was wild. Those were some yeah. good years. I, mean, I remember it was from the starting line all the way back to where the ribbon was. I mean, literally to where like the intersection was where the cars were, there were quads all the way back there. And get that flag drop and watch, you know, going fifth gear down to that first, you know, down the asphalt in that first corner. And from, you know, somebody who was a spectator who actually got the chance to race eventually. I mean, that, that race series there, like or that race itself, I mean, that was just, that was the race to go to. I mean, you saw so many people there. It was just, and to just be there for the experience, whether you're racing it or spectating, it was just awesome to see that many quads. Yeah, it was definitely my favorite of the year. And uh, yeah, yeah, you don't see it anymore. Now I suppose it's all shifted to the UTVs. Now, now every race class is inundated and, and uh, completely packed in with the UTV crowd. Yeah. And then you're talking about UTVs that, that, well, the price is going up. So you're going to start weaning some of those people out, but to build a pro level ATV is so expensive, you know, and there is no barrier to the A class, to the B class, to the C class. Cause you can see little Johnny come out there on his pro level YFZ 450R in the C class and they want to know why he's beating everybody by three minutes a lap. Well, they're on stock bikes and he's on a pro bike. Yeah. Get him on the stock bike and teach him some skills. Dude, well, even when, again, magazine, when I built that, uh, that DRR for Katie Hunt, a little DRR, I think it was the 90 that he built, had the motor done, we had the suspension done. That is every, every bit as pricey as building a 450 at the time. You know? And it hasn't gotten any cheaper, you know, no. got any cheaper, you know, you, you, you build a quad now, a retail, retail pricing. Nobody wants to talk about retail. Well, retail is how you stay in business, but exactly. retail built pro level 450 Honda or, or Yamaha is in the twenties, you know, 22 to, to $28,000. I'm sorry. That's what it costs. I, I don't, I'm not making it up price it out and you then don't realize the man hours it's, it's not necessarily just it's just not just a bike it's when you're building a pro level quad that quad comes down to the frame everything comes out of it and then it's the man hours of torquing every nut and bolt you know this is a full-on assembly you know if you want to powder coat you powder coat it i mean what you're doing to treat the arms are you making sure powder coat's clean it's very meticulous work building a pro bike i mean i've done it i haven't I'm nowhere near the level of you, but I've worked alongside of you in building them. 
I, well, get I didn't it. know you built quads like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, mine would probably never be considered pro level. <laughs> Thank you very much. Eli. Thank you very much. Bones. Uh, I appreciate that. I do my best. And, and I, I think that's my, um, therapy. I love building bikes. I love taking it's great. a frame and you know, you take that. Well, I do it different. I build it in my head days or weeks before and then start putting it all together and, and, and running with it. You know, I mean, yeah, but I mean, that's where that really, that's where the cost comes from. One, it's your knowledge of how you assemble it. You'll assemble something, maybe not how it came from a factory, but you'll put something together a different way that worked better, you know? And then again, it's the man hours, the man hours of making sure everything's tight because even from a, even when you get in a bike from a factory, you by a bike running dealership, make sure you tighten every, put a wrench in every one of those nuts and bolts. Anybody who's listening, if you're going to go out and buy a brand new bike, <laughs> put a wrench on every one of those nuts and bolts because it's sitting there on the showroom floor. But guess what? There's probably some 16 year old high school kid who was told to go out there, put that thing together. Good luck with that. <laughs> put a wrench in every one of those nuts and bolts. I've seen it. You know, <laughs> but I mean, like I said, your, your man hours, like I said, the amount of time you put in to make sure it gets assembled properly, things are torqued properly and the little fine touches that you do, that's where the price comes into it. And that's what people need to understand. Well, nobody realizes that sometimes you have to put that steering stem bearing in there two or three times to get the feel that you're looking for. Exactly. Or you take that a arm on and off because you don't like the way it fits or the swing arm or you know, the, the motor doesn't sit just the way you think it should. So you loosen it and make sure that everything's where it's supposed to be. I mean, there's just, there's nuances to it that you can't even get into because most people would not understand why you would, why would you do that? The holes right there, it lines up. Well, that's not how you build that. That's not how, a, that's not how your race bike goes together. You know, when the, when the wheel, when the, when you put the uh, ring on the bead lock, you just run the bolts in. Rot, rot, rot. That's what, right, Bones, I think you told me it's just like, see that that is from the little, like the little impact. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And right as that bolt feels like it's getting loose, you're done. You're perfect. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to go any further. You're set. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. You should mention that. I, I actually have a wheel that got dropped off today that that got ruined with poor installation and from a from a racetrack this is a drag race wheel uh, another company's product that's out of business now but uh you know we're gonna fix it and make it better for the guy because just poor installation led to a failure and uh yeah people people don't take the time to do it the same quality that you do lenny you know, making sure that everything's done the way it's supposed to, putting it in and out a few times if you have to, to spend the time to make it right. Well, if you don't do it the right the first time, you're doing it at the racetrack with a rider that's pissed off looking over your shoulder or a customer that's in the sand dunes because their machine isn't right. And that's the worst thing in the world. So, or, you know, I have to look at my own dad, you know, shake his head when he trained me how to do these things. And, and more than once, you know, he spent his evenings at work taking something apart because he found a circlip on the bench. 
<laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> <that whole motor. laughs> no, and it's there, you know, and you knew it was there, but you had to check, you had to know. And, um, you know, Josh Rowe tells the story better than I do. We're at the 2018 Vegas Torino and we're at the starting line and it's the night before or the day of in the morning or whatever, whatever time it was. And I'm out there with my headlight on and I got the top plate off of the, of the race bike and the bikes disassembled all over the parts. And he's looking at me like, what are you doing to our bike? You know, the race is in a couple hours. And I go, well, I was worried that the cam sprocket was loose. For some reason I had a feeling that it needed to be checked. So I took the bike apart and checked it. You know, I mean, it just, it's just what you do when you, I've learned that if you don't follow your gut, when you're doing something for somebody, either race bike or a, or a customer's machine, you regret it because that's the problem you have. Yep. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, just like every time I blow those OMF wheels, Oh my God, I got to call bones and make sure I ordered them right. (laughs) (laughs) There is a lot of options. That's for sure. (laughs) Almost too many, I would say. Well, I thought uh, we still deal with that custom three-wheeler front wheel that you built us. Remember that? Oh yeah. No kidding. Yeah. That's that that's still awesome. around, huh? Yeah, it is. It's an awesome part. <laughs> uh, I think we got that in the magazine too back then. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I have a couple three-wheelers to restore and we're still doing some really trick banshee stuff. Um, so th- there's a lot of good stuff going on. Absolutely. Yeah, I've been happy when I go to the guys' shop over there. It's awesome to see some of the Banshee restorations you guys are doing, especially the one you guys most recently had in Dirt Mills. I mean, you know, uh, pandemic reasons and whatnot, I, I had to let mine go, you know, which I hadn't ridden that thing in years. But, man, I was like, okay, got to do it, you know. I'm just like, God, I wish I would just have taken out for one last ride. You know, because once I got the thing run before I sold it, that thing just sitting in a driver just purring. You hear, bah, 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 bah. Like, son of a bitch, this is a nice bike. I really, I wish I didn't have to let it go, but it went somebody who was going to ride it way more than I was going to ride it. So it's, I appreciate it. I mean, it's something about those old, the old two strokes are kind of, it just, you get that good feel with them, you know? And you know, we have, we have some cool new mods for the Banshees too, with the upgrades in, Elka stage fives and the Elka yeah. long travel link. Um, we've done some development with, you know, my uh, Doug rolls done some development with the, the shock to make it better. And now they have a piggyback rear shock for them. Okay. So, you, you know, there's just new things. Uh, you know, you've got new design wheels from the MF that you can put on them. And, and there's just so many cool products because there's almost like for your 70 industry, there's almost a Banshee industry yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. You know, and is it, is it something about the Banshee? Cause it's funny. You should mention that Eli about you, you know, selling yours and sitting away, purring in the, purring in the driveway, sounding great. And you know, the, I had a Banshee back in the day. Uh, I sold it. It was my, my first race quad sold it, went and bought a Raptor 660, made that the new race machine, but nothing, uh, nothing really stirred the emotion like that Banshee. And even now, you know, when I see a video of a guy, you know, getting on the pipe, ripping up a hill in Glamis or something like that. I mean, it still stirs some real emotion. Mm-hmm. You know, is it, is it that, uh, is it that these new machines aren't doing that the same? Like, 
like the old ones, like that two stroke Banshee? I mean, um, I, 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 I think it's a different era guy. Um, because yes, you, you're talking about, we're old school guys. Okay. Yeah. Bones, you're young. You're a lot younger than I am. Eli, you're a little younger than I am. Um, and, but you cut your teeth on a two stroke in an era that these young guys don't even have a clue what it is, but we don't, we don't cherish their time because it's not ours. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, granted, I've got to delve into the four strokes and my favorite of all the four strokes is the 0405 TRX 450R. But I'm not telling you that the Yamaha R is not a bitchin' bike. You know, I'm not telling you that the LTR is not a cool machine. I'm just telling you that what my favorite is, you know. And, yeah. And and I like all three of the two strokes, the Banshee, the 250R and the LT500. I mean, come on. How can you not? LT500 was a very special machine. I mean, that thing was just, it was just big, but it just ripped. You know, it made some amazing power. It rode, you had to set up right and rode like a Cadillac, but just the power that thing had was just insane. If they would have used just a little bit better quality materials to make it, could you imagine it would have owned the industry? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Question I kind of back towards you, Bone, um, as we're talking like some of these niche industries kind of coming back or these, these popularities, retro builds coming back. Um, OMF was a proprietary builder on a lot of unique parts specifically for the 250R. Uh, yep. um, like you guys, the aluminum radiator shrouds and the aluminum fans, I mean, you couldn't find those anywhere except you guys. With the popularity kind of coming back, has, have you had any call from, pe- from people saying, hey, like, you going to start doing this again at all? Or is there plans for anything like that? You know, it seems uh, it seems we get that question every year, but never in huge demand. I mean, we do get those calls. We do get those questions. Uh, a lot of people want our old seat brackets. I was just going to say seat uh, brackets. Yep. Yep. That was always popular. And, uh, and the scoops and louvers were definitely, I mean, Back in the day, we sold a lot of them. Uh, it all kind of dwindled away. And yes, there is calls for them now. But I mean, man, when we were running them back then, we were, you know, a, a normal batch was to blow through 250 sets uh, per machine. Wow. And uh, man, I, I think if I built that now, I, I think it would last me quite some time. <laughs> I don't think, you know, so. more, more think- years than I want to sit on them. I don't think so. I think what happens with the 250R people is they're so fickle. They buy what's available. Yeah. Mm. It's available. They buy it. Um, And if you built them, they'd buy them. Yeah. You know, you never know. Maybe, uh, maybe we could bring that back. We, I mean, this, uh, this past year, we had some guys uh, with the old Tri-Z 250. The, uh, the Yamaha three wheeler, yeah. you know, who uh, swore up and down that if we built the skid plates for those, they would buy them. And, you know, we, we made a few and we sold a few and we still have quite a few sitting here collecting dust, <laughs> waiting for that, that group buy of people who were going to come scoop them all out of our inventory and make us all rich. So, well, uh, you know, we'll see. I think that, I think that you will sell them. There is a, there's a bigger group for those tri Z guys that's growing. Um, and they probably don't know yet that you have them. Um, yep. And I think that a little social media work 
you know, uh, maybe this will help get out to some of those guys because we do get a lot of old school people listening to uh, ATV talk and um, maybe that'll help. Uh, yeah, that would be great. I really, I really believe, you know, it's just like I used a specific scoop that you made on the Polaris. Mm, yep. And I, I remember that thing. Yeah, I, heard that one. I don't remember what model it was. Was it 400 EX? Uh, we, we made one for the 400 EX. We made some for the LTZ KFX 400, the, uh, Polaris outlaw. We made some for that. Uh, heck, I think even we had a Cannondale one for a minute there. Those were never a hot seller, but, but I didn't made the Polaris outlaw one on the outlaw. I used another version. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. I think we mocked up the 400s on the outlaw. Remember we had a, and, uh, Uncle Doug's black, uh, Blackout lot, the race bike. Yeah, because because <laughs> I don't even think you made scoops for them at that point. Um, yep. Because I was doing, I had to do something to cool it off because the guys at Polaris didn't understand cooling because they rode them in the cold weather. Yep. Um, you know, we had to do away their their whole cooling system was wrong, in my opinion. But that was neither here nor there. But I seen I seen a couple of people copy the exact same thing that I did once they seen it. Yeah. No, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, there was quite a few companies that, that, uh, duped our scoops, uh, down to the T. I mean, even to the instructions, you know, <laughs> literally copied our instructions and put their name on it. And it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> it was something. And see, and that's what I was talking about, like in the big, in the big, like the big boom era for ATVs and ATV racing, it's like you had all these companies came out, copied product, they copied your guys' products, they copied Pro Design's products. And you know, I know Tom, Tom took a hard hit, you know, from people just pilfering his designs. But look who's still around. Yep. Yep. You know, look who's still around. Hey, people take our instruction sheets off of our website that are watermarked and give them to their customers. <laughs> Oh man, that's a <laughs> that's awesome, right? Is no, no more bigger form of flattery, is there? No, there sure isn't. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you guys are thorough. Like I said, I, I remember being there, going through some of that stuff with you guys, and you know, you're thorough. Again, it comes back to making sure it's done right the first time. You know, for your for your guys' customers. So there's nothing left, you know, there's no question as far as am I doing something wrong? If you're following the instructions, you should be good. You know? Well, I mean, I think that the companies that have made it through um, have to be thorough to a point, you know, even the ones that I disagree with their theory doesn't mean that they're wrong. They're just doing it a different way. They've skinned that cat their way and, and they're still doing it and they're still working hard and, and you, you have to commend them and respect them for that. You know? Um, I, I like hearing the old school guys still around. And if you think about it, there's only four or five of us left. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. You know, you know, cause I know Harry's gotten out of it. Um, you know, Trinity racing's pretty much out. They've Trinity's solely UTV at this point. And they, yeah, but it's not Trinity race anymore. It's just a name. Yeah. It's just a name at yeah. this point. Cause they're just doing the exhaust for the UTV stuff. It's not even UTV anymore. But you got, so you got you guys, you got, uh, Sparks, you got CT, you know, Baldwin, one and, and TC. Yeah. Tom Carlson. I'm still around. 
Yep. He still does a little bit of motor work. I, I, I was, I had to work late Saturday night for a customer and, um, Doug Gus called me out of the blue, you know, I'm going to get him on the show, but he, uh, we, we had a little short conversation about it. And, um, what was so awesome about it is, is, uh, we talked about Tom Carlson. Uh, that's awesome. And that dude, that dude's rat. Uh, I had the opportunity to do an intro at his, his property at his home in Wisconsin. That guy, one of the guys was super cool, super down to earth. But we're talking about like the property he has. He had his practice track going all the way around the property and huge, huge practice track. I mean, he kind of jumped it, kind of went over the driveway. And property's so big. I think he was doing UTV snow races over there on his property too. You know, and it's just, it's cool to see what he is and just involved in so much stuff or he was involved in so much stuff at the time. You know, he's a, love flying. So part of his property is just a huge, big grass field for like a plane, a plane runway, you know, and just, that was just really, it was really cool getting to go to his property and see exactly what everything was and how he lived around it. It was really, really fun. Well, in, in the nineties, Tom Carlson and I got in a, one of those bungee jump slingshots (laughs) at a fair. And, you know, I've, he's a big boy and I'm no slouch and they launched us in that thing. I, I think we lied about our age to get us both in there or our weight to get us both in there. Uh, there's a video, there's a video of that running around somewhere that I hope nobody ever sees. <laughs> I was swollen like a little girl. <laughs> Whoever has that video, can you email it? Oh, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I think Tom and I are the only two that might have had it and I don't know where it is. So uh if I got it, I destroyed it. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, I want to thank you so much for sitting down and talking industry today with me in ATV Talk. I hope that you, you will accept my invitation to have you come back um and talk with us. I know Eli, you were there for episode one um when we took taped with Doug Eichner as a as a, uh, you know, helping me out and, and guiding the ATV talk and, um, bones, you've been a friend for years and years working at OMF and, um, it's not partisan. The conversations that I have with anybody, I'll have them with anybody in the industry. I just happen to have you two gentlemen come tonight. And unfortunately, Jed from Roll Design had some family issues and couldn't be with us. So everybody shout out some prayers for him and uh, make sure that his family's okay and that he's okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a thing right now. Hopefully he's doing okay. I think he's going to be fine, but it's, it's just some things that he has to go through in life. And, and, you know, we all have, we all have our life going on. He, Eli, you have a three-year-old bones. You have some young kids and, and I have a parcel full of grandkids. So. Yep. <laughs> Uh, again, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time tonight. I uh, thank know you. That I've taken you away from your families um, long enough and, uh, it, Thanks for having me. It's always it's always fun getting the uh, you know from Black Better Sense or Black Better Terms shooting the shit with you and this stuff. Um, I had a blast. And I was doing Eichner. Always down for it. It's it's always a good time. Uh, you know, 
having, having good fun talks like this with friends, it's always great. And, you know, you get some, you get to have some, hear some amazing stories and uh, I'm always down for it because it's always a good time. Absolutely. Count me in. Well, thanks again, Bones. Um, and everybody, uh, Bones is the head guy over there at uh, OMF Performance. I know Tim owns it, but Bones probably runs the show and 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 makes things happen. And Eli, wherever you land in the industry, I know that you'll make an impact and people will always be able to gravitate to you uh, and get a uh, good insight on whatever it is that you're selling or doing or however you're going to direct them. Um, gentlemen, you have a wonderful night. I will need some information from you later on and I will reach out to you for that. Um, again, thank you so much for your time and keep listening to ATV talk because we're growing at a rate faster than I can control. Absolutely. Absolutely. Love listening to it every week. So looking forward to more, uh, more episodes to come. Oh, they're there. Uh, we, uh, we dropped, uh, in, well, this is going to, this is going to air weeks from now. Um, but episode four of inspired drop today and episode 41, 42 will drop on Tuesday. And if you're still recording, huge shout out to Mr. Mike Penland. Hopefully yep. he's airing out, uh, a while out, but keep up with the recovery, you know, and stay strong, buddy. Yeah, I know his, his, his third episode will have dropped before this comes out. Um, Mike, you know, I I don't know if you ever got to deal with him bones. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All the time. He's a good man. (laughs) I miss, I miss those calls. He is a phenomenal dude. I had no idea the knowledge that guy has. Oh man. I, I, I remember Elsner going on to extend your, or the, show here but i remember the first time i really got to meet him was at elsinore grand prix he'd flown out here because it was also always before a couple weeks before baja so he'd always come here and he'd make a run before baja and i remember seeing him i he was always in the magazine so you knew who he was you know you couldn't miss him i mean how could right. miss that mustache <laughs> 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 that that but and yep. you know i know it wasn't the fast guy at the point like ah. You know, I, I felt pretty good. And I remember one time I heard this machine coming up behind me. I'm like, what the hell is that? And all of a sudden, this pig of a utility quad just comes roaring past me. That guy could ride the wheels off some machines, dude. Yeah. That guy could ride. And this big dude on a big utility quad whipping past some of us on, you know, sport quads. You know, here we were. We're I'm charged. I'm feeling good. And I'm like. Oh man, I just got my ass kicked. <laughs> my utility quad. <laughs> you know, and he, he's, and you know, I got to meet him. I really got to meet him going to the uh, indie dealer shows. And, you know, I'd say I'm able to make a good friend out of him. We went and had dinner quite a few nights while we were there. And that guy's just got stories. I mean, you, you have him for inspired, you know, episode three. I wouldn't be surprised if you got inspired episode 30. That guy has some amazing. I, I, I will reach out. I will reach out and talk with him more. Um, you know, you have to give a big shout out to Sarah, his daughter. Oh, she's help. awesome. Yeah. And she put uh she put us in able to do it because she's the one that runs the tech for him. Um and yes, I it, God willing, I will talk with him again because I you know, I've been around a long time and I've talked to a lot of people and I enjoy him so much because the sincerity in that man 
is unbelievable. He is, he's top notch, you know, yeah. As, yeah. as far as people in the ATV world, I think he's, he's as top notch as you get. He's clean. He's respectful. He's God fearing man that, uh, is just a good man. He has not a bad bone in his body. And, um, I think anybody that gets a chance to meet him or spend time with him, you need to do it because you will learn something and you will take a valuable lesson away from it. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. He's a good old boy and they, uh, they yeah. don't make him like him. Not anymore. No, yeah. because if he told you I'm going to pay for it on Tuesday and I'm going to give you a full price, he paid for it on Tuesday and gave you full price. Yep. And if he yeah, called you on Wednesday and was late, he gave you extra. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Who does that? Right. Yeah. He's a good guy. We worked with him for, uh, for years and years and years and years and years. And, uh, Yeah. Yeah, I really do miss getting those phone calls from him. Listening to him on your podcast, uh, it was it was nice to hear some of the backstories that I hadn't heard. Uh, can't wait for the third episode to to air. Oh, yeah. dude, it's a, it's a it's kind of a heart wrenching story, but um, it's it's his life, and and he wanted to share it, and I wanted I wanted him to, and um, it was kind of an emotional day, but it was it was a good story. It was a good talk. Yeah, I. I I think I know what the cover on that one is, but yeah. Yes, that's exactly what it is, Eli. And uh, and, uh, I'll just let everybody wait to hear that. Um, Definitely tune in. You know, there's there's one other episode that everybody ought to listen to, and that's Jessie Strawham. I pronounce her name wrong every time. She is phenomenal. She will change your life if you listen to her. Think of the things that she talks about. Um, this lady is, uh, in a wheelchair and is getting better, uh, physically and emotionally. She may never walk again, but she's, she's on a different plane learning, uh, about exercise and food than the rest of us. And, uh, yeah, I really think that you, need, you need to listen to that. She's, yeah, I've, yeah. I've followed her journey since, you know, since her accident. And the one thing that I appreciate about her if you follow her social media, she doesn't sugarcoat shit. Nope. She is, she is <laughs> flat out. She is honest. She is, she will be on her social media and she will tell you when she was having a bad day, you will see the tears in her eyes, but she also doesn't give up. And that, that trick, Jesse is truly an inspiration. You know, I, I got to meet her a few times. She was a fast four wheeler racer too. And she was racing. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, she's, She's got drive. She's got heart. And, you know, I, I'm glad that you were able to get to connect with her because she's, she has an amazing story. You've got some I'm, cool, really amazing I'm going to reach out to her later on this year and have her come back and tell me how things are going and, and have another conversation with her because, you know, the things that happen in all of our lives, it just, the, the information that I got from her has affected my life now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I just want everybody to, to get enthused and, and talk to her because she will help you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you've got some amazing guests, um, from her and Mike and Mike said, I know we, uh, got you doing with Adrian Cooper. I have yeah. another, I have some war fighters coming on. Ooh, yeah. And I work out with one of them and he's the nicest guy you'd ever want me to give you shirt off his back. And you'd never know that he was a badass. 
badass he's a badass and you know naval seal guys are tough and all these guys are badasses and and you just know and this guy's just a marine that was just a badass and uh uh some of the stories he tells um you know i'm just it was just shocked that it's the same guy and i would have never known but I have some more, I have some war fighters coming on. I'm reaching out to some fire and some military guys to have them come on. And this is I'll for the inspired ATT people series. come on that side too. But I've kept you guys again too long. Uh, I want to appreciate I want to reach out my heart to you and tell you how much I appreciate you guys and um, keep up the good work and stay in touch with me, gentlemen. Um, Bones, you still need Tim to get in hold of me. Yep. I will harass him. He wasn't in the office today. He was out, uh, out racing, but uh, he's doing tomorrow. So I'll get him in touch. All right, gentlemen. Thank you guys so much. I will be in touch with you to get more information from you at a later date. And um, we will do this again. Sounds, Sounds good. good. Looking thank forward to it. Me. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks for thank being you. on ATV Talk. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. Brought to you by Take-Two Custom dedicated to quality and customer service every time. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industries building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.